Happy Friday. Welcome to the show. Pete Callender here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Those are the phone numbers. You can also email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com, which, by the way, for some reason, my Outlook did not uh, update yesterday. Well, I mean, there was a bunch of updates that have been coming down on the laptop and stuff for the last few days, and I don't know what happened. It seems like they broke it, so I apologize. I did not get to emails yesterday, but I will. I'll get to some of them today. Um, let me start, though, with Hurricane Ian. Uh, so a couple things. I'll give you the sort of the 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 status of where we are now uh, and the the predictive models uh, where uh, what it's going to probably look like for the Charlotte area over the next 24 hours. But let me start uh, before I do that. Let me uh, let me give you the information if you want to help, because people usually ask uh, once that, you know, we ride out uh, the storm. And right now it looks like tropical storm conditions uh, in the Charlotte area. We shall see over the next 24 hours. But uh, if you are in a position afterwards to help others that were uh, not spared the wrath of this storm, the organization that I've worked with for years uh, out in the mountains of Western North Carolina is an organization called Hearts with Hands. Heartswithhands.org is their website. They've got a, a link right there for uh, Hurricane Ian relief. And yes, you can make just a you know straight up financial contribution. That's fine. But uh, they also uh, collect and uh, assemble kits and they give you lists of, uh, of items. If you want to go and you want to put together a kit, you can do that as well. They've got hygiene kits that they, uh, uh, they give you a list for like razors, shaving cream, body wash, shampoo, conditioner, feminine products, toothpaste, toothbrushes, mouthwash, travel size, please hand sanitizer, deodorant, eye drops, chapstick, and hair ties. Um, and, you know, they've got this posted up on their website, but they also, I mean, you can print these things out as well. They've got PDF files for it. They also have a thing called the Box of Hope, and this has, uh, you know, bottled water, fruit juice, ramen noodles, uh, pull tab cans of various foods, you know, to be able to microwave. And uh, what Hearts With Hands does is they uh, they rush into these disaster zones uh, in the immediate aftermath, and a lot of times they partner up with the local organizations to distribute stuff at local distribution points, but also they help serve the uh, the local first responders who are usually the people that are there, like, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours after uh, landfall of a hurricane. They're the ones that are uh, that are there. They have their own homes and families that they're, you know, worried about and trying to take care of, but they're also out trying to rescue other people. And so Hearts With Hands goes out there and uh, they work with the local first responders as well to take care of them. And then they sort of transition as people start coming back and uh, they need, you know, they're, they're sifting through the debris of their homes and such. Hearts with Hands then helps them as well. So it's a good organization. Uh, like I said, I've worked with them for years when I was up in the mountains. And uh, if you are looking to, to help them, heartswithhands.org is the website. All right, so... Uh, let me get to, first off, uh, the storm is making landfall uh, again, In this time in South Carolina. It obviously ripped through Florida. They're still sifting through the wreckage down there and getting an assessment of how bad it is, and it looks pretty bad. It looks like it's, uh, the wind, by, uh, based on wind speed, it looks like it was the fourth worst uh, hurricane uh, to hit America. So, um, and again, that's based on wind speed. You've got storm surge. That's also a big problem. That's the 
the water that rushes in, uh, you, you know, and that could be, you know, for a day afterwards, just based on high tide and water levels and that sort of thing, and the amount of rain that got dumped. That's going to be the problem for Charleston, it looks like, uh, and the low country of South Carolina, because this is hitting, uh, uh, like now, uh, it's hitting Charleston during high tide. And that means you got more water to deal with on the front end uh, uh, automatically. Now, I guess there's also, you know, the other side of that is that uh, a lot of times storms hit and people think, oh, good, it passed, it's over, worst is over, and then they get complacent, and then high tide comes in, and all of the, the creeks and tributaries, they're all swollen, and the high tide comes in, and all of a sudden people get caught in flash floods, you know, eight hours after the storm, they think, has passed. So, you know, pros and cons here. Um, but here's the key messages from the National Weather Service uh, for Hurricane Ian. Uh, this is within the last hour. So, number one, there is a danger of life-threatening storm surge today along the coast of the Carolinas within the warning areas. Hurricane-force winds are expected along the coast of South Carolina, as well as the southeastern portion of North Carolina. And there is a hurricane warning area Uh, all along the coast. Um, Ongoing major to record river flooding will continue through next week across portions of central Florida. Considerable flooding is expected today across portions of coastal and northeast South Carolina, coastal North Carolina, and southeast Virginia. All right, so you can kind of picture that, right? It's running all the way, like the... Uh, northeastern part of the of the Palmetto State, all through North Carolina, and then into a little bit of the southern portion of Virginia. Locally considerable flooding is possible across portions of northwest North Carolina and southern Virginia today into early Saturday. It's just going to depend on where the storm goes, right? You've seen the right the 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 cone, right? Not the cone of creativity. That's ours. Uh, but they have these cone drawings, you know, of where the storm could go in the affected area. And uh, it's just it, it's just going to depend on uh, weather conditions. Um, let's see here. Let me go over to the this is from National Weather Service. Tropical storm warning is in effect. A flood watch is in effect from noon until Saturday morning. And this is for the Piedmont of North Carolina and the upstate of South Carolina. Strong gusty winds, heavy rain expected to impact parts of the Piedmont of the Carolinas through tonight. All right, so this is this event is sort of just getting underway for the Carolinas. So this is going to be uh, through tonight, and uh, from what I understand, uh, you know, by tomorrow, a lot of the worst of it will be done and gone. But uh, you still have to deal with the flooding. Uh, storm information uh, is about 220 miles south southeast of Charlotte. Storm intensity is about 85 miles an hour, although uh, we don't expect to see winds that powerful here. And uh, the storm is moving north, or zero degrees, at 14 miles an hour. So it actually picked up some speed. It was going, to, it was moving about 10 miles an hour yesterday. Now it's up at about 14. But as you know, when it hits land, it usually starts slowing down. Hurricane Ian's expected to make landfall South Carolina in the afternoon. It'll track northward across the Carolinas through tonight, weakening and then evolving into an extra tropical storm. It's all one word. 
with the remnants eventually moving uh, north into Virginia on Saturday afternoon. Strong and gusty winds will be widespread around the region throughout the afternoon and into tonight. It's going to peak late this afternoon or early this evening. So, heavy rainfall is expected mainly this afternoon and evening. It may cause localized flash flooding. The flood threat will primarily affect the Piedmont, the northern foothills, and northern mountains of North Carolina, as well as the eastern upstate of South Carolina. Uh, We've got uh, wind issues, right? We're going to see high winds, uh, gusts of, I think, 40 to 50 miles an hour, somewhere in that range. Uh, So obviously, you know, tree limbs coming down, porches, awnings, carports, sheds, uh, unanchored mobile homes, unsecured lightweight objects, right? These things are going to get blown around. Um, got flooding rain. So you want to, uh, you know, be aware of, uh, creeks, streams, tributaries, that sort of thing. If you live near, uh, these flood prone areas, uh, be on guard because they will likely obviously flood. Um, tropical storm warning remains in effect for Charlotte, Huntersville, and Matthews. Uh, the wind peak wind, uh, is like 20 to 30 miles an hour sustained with gusts to 50 miles an hour. Uh, there is potential for it to get uh, stronger than that. The wind threat has decreased, though, so there's some good news. Uh, it's not as bad as what uh, they initially predicted, so it has kind of weakened a little bit. Uh, flooding rain flood watch is in effect. Peak rainfall amounts, they say, is uh, about 2 to 4 inches with local higher amounts. Again, all of this is just uh, predictive. Um, and, uh, one other piece of good news though, uh, situation is unfavorable for tornadoes. So, uh, that's uh, good news. Cause usually I think it's that, was it the Northeast part of the storm that that's the area that usually spawns the most tornadic activity. So, uh, that's what it looks like right now. We will keep you posted. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I think a lot of people uh, heeded the advice, stayed home today. A lot of work-from-home orders went out. I think Mecklenburg County Courthouse closed. Uh, I think a lot of the schools in the area went to remote lear- learning. Air quotes on that one. Um, and uh, and so uh, apparently they have the roads pretty clear today. Remember... It's raining, so gray cars, remember the code, the gray car code, when it's raining, don't turn on your headlights because we don't need to see your gray car in the rain. It's super, super easy to see, right? It being gray and all during a rainstorm. Obviously, I'm being sarcastic. For folks who aren't fluent in sarcasm, as I am, uh, no, I don't understand. Like I've long, I've long been perplexed. By this idea, see, and now once you hear this the first time, you're going to start looking out on the roads uh, and you're going to start noticing all of the gray cars that don't burn their headlights in rainstorms. Why? Of all the color cars to not burn their headlamps, gray cars, like you guys, you blend into the street, you blend into the rain, you blend into like dusk and dawn, you just blend into everything. Turn your lights on. For the love of me. Um, all right, so uh, so there's... Oh, yeah, and speaking of which, the airport. Oh, gosh. If you... God help you. If you got to go over to the airport, 
It's awful. It was awful yesterday afternoon. Did you see? Yeah, like because they're doing the they're replacing a, a canopy construct or they're uh, they're building a canopy construction. So, oh yeah. So this has just been it just been terrible. Yesterday, the traffic was backed up. It had to have been three quarters of a mile in each direction on Wilkinson Boulevard because you got the turn lanes. Oh, and by the way, what's what what brainiac decided to put street uh, or stoplights like a hundred feet away from another stoplight intersection over there by was it CW Williams or whatever it says it's by the Burger King and the church's chicken right there's the, that was like the original stoplight the four-way intersection and then there's like this other they just threw in another stoplight like a hundred feet away just stupid I swear sometimes like the road planners in this state I think are on drugs I I have, I'm becoming more and more convinced of it. So uh, then you got the airport. They're uh, they're putting this canopy uh, over uh, the the drop off area. I guess it is. And uh, yeah, so I'm reading their press release here. The upper level roadway temporary closing 10 p.m. Tuesday through 4 a.m. Wednesday, October 12th. So this thing is now closed. And so what that means is everybody is being directed to the lower level, which means the traffic is backing up because, you know, people are terrible drivers and completely inconsiderate of everybody around them. We're just in your world. And so they're, you know, when you're dropping everybody off, it's all now being routed at the lower level. And so that's backing up at the lower level, and it's backing up all the way out the, the you know, down the road, all the way to the entrance, and then on to Wilkinson Boulevard, like half a mile to a mile in each direction. Oh, it's terrible. It's just terrible. So if you can avoid that area, and, and man, if you are flying, God bless you. Um, all vehicle traffic is being directed to the lower level, the arrivals baggage claim area for drop-off and for pickup. Yeah, what could go wrong there? Drop-off and pickup. So both happening at the same spot, which is already a mess. That was already a mess down there. I swear, like, the airport's been under construction for 30 years. Has it ever stopped being under construction? <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, I appreciate the fact that, you know, it's growing. They added runways. They're, and they actually, I just saw, they're, they're putting in for the fourth runway. They're working on the fourth parallel runway. They're going to they're gonna sandwich it in between the middle one and the, the one on the western side. So there's enough room. They're going to they're gonna stick a fourth one right there. So they're going to have four parallel runways. Uh, all airline curbside ticket counters and check-ins unavailable. So they're shutting all of that down, which is actually pretty smart, right? Yeah. Could you imagine dropping off, picking up, and the curbside check-in? Ugh. So you're going to have to go to the ticket counters in the lobby. Um, door two at the center door on the upper level is going to remain open, but only for emergencies. Um, Daily North lot is going to become a temporary cell phone lot to help alleviate traffic congestion. The current cell phone lot will close. So if you know where the cell phone lot is, you know, where you hang out, talk on your cell phone. What? No, that's what it's for, I think. No, you sit there and you wait for your, your somebody to call you and then you just zip over and pick them up, right? They're going to close that, so now you're going to have to go to a different lot, uh, the Daily North lot. Or you could do what I see other people do. They just park all over Wilkinson Boulevard. <laughs> they just pull off to the side of the road, I guess. 
I'm not advocating that. I'm just noticing that this is what people do. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. One of my main concerns in the aftermath of hurricanes uh, that hit North Carolina, and I look, I've been here since uh, I've been working at WBT, uh, well, on and off, you know, as John Hancock would call it, the timeout. Mine lasted like nine years. But um, when I first started here in 1999, one of the first stories that I actually got on air to cover was uh, Hurricane Floyd. And that was mainly a storm surge event. It flooded half of the state, literally half the state. Um, it's like from, like from east of Raleigh all the way to the coast was underwater. Uh, you know, all of the, the hog farms, uh, that you know, all those pigs that died and stuff. I mean, just awful, just awful. And uh, so that was, uh, you know, sort of my first uh, experience covering that stuff. I, I grew up in New York. We did not have uh, a lot of hurricanes, except for the one, Hurricane Gloria, that came through. My brother went to the Citadel, and his first year, his knob year at uh, the Citadel, was 1989. Hugo. And so... He ended up coming back. They 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 evacuated everybody out of the city, right, and, and the citadel. And he came back up home, and uh, then he went back down. The citadel guys helped clean up downtown Charleston and the area. Um, and so, and, and my folks went down. I think they drove down. Uh, well, they initially dropped them off. And they had all these pictures and stuff, you know, of of Charleston, and uh, and then we saw the pictures afterwards in the cleanup, and it was just devastation. So, and then, you know, obviously Hugo came all the way, uh, you know, up through Charlotte. And I hear the stories and have heard the stories about uh, the impact on Charlotte, which was, you know, completely out of the blue. And that's, you know, it, people, it leaves a mark, right? It leaves a memory and people then um, uh, respond based on their experiences. And so uh, this, by the way, goes to uh, some of the, the challenges in reporting this stuff. I always try to be, uh, you know, not hypey while discussing these types of storm events because I don't want people to ever think that I'm I'm trying to scare folks into listening in order to get ratings, you know? And that is a thing, right? Uh, if, if you scare people and you make them think that, you know, death is right around the corner, uh, then they're going to be more likely to tune in and listen longer. People are motivated by fear a lot of times. And uh, I've said this for years, you know, nobody buys a newspaper from a kid on the corner uh, who's screaming, uh, you know, read all about it. Absolutely nothing happened today, right? No one's buying that newspaper. So in media world, there is this there is this tension, right? This balance where you want to try to impress upon people the importance of a story while capturing their attention, but not overhyping it. And a lot of media institutions and individuals, I think, fall short of that they go overboard because they there is an incentive for them to do so there's a financial incentive for the institution of a particular outlet to do so that's why i joke you know if you're not scared we're not doing our jobs <laughs> that's a it seems to be the mantra for a lot of people in media so try to give you the information 
uh, as best we can. Now, one of the other problems, though, is that after the storms rip through and you start going about, you know, picking up the pieces and trying to see, you know, what people need uh, to recover, how we can help people who don't live in the area, how, you know, how we can help. And again, I'll throw in artswithhands.org. Uh, it's a good organization. They're based out of Western North Carolina and they go everywhere. Okay. They, they pack up and they, they go, they're probably already there actually because they go and they help the first responders uh, and then they transition to helping uh, the residents uh, as they start coming back into town. Um, Hurricane Matthew hit North Carolina in 2016. Pat McCrory was actually running for re-election during this time period when Hurricane Matthew hit. And it was very odd uh, because McCrory was always, uh, I thought he did a good job as a governor uh, for emergency response, right? And, you know, if you're a governor and you mess up on emergency response, that's usually your political butt, right? Like, that's it. If you're out of the state, if you're, well, okay, if you're a Republican and you're out of the state, right, then you get you get slammed for that if you don't visit soon enough. But if you do visit and then you don't do the right thing when you visit or if you visit and you cause problems like with security and you're a Republican, then like that could be that could be devastating for you politically. Right. And I, and I say this and it is partisan and it's unfortunate, but it, it does become sort of a partisan thing because remember when everybody was bashing Donald Trump for uh, going down to the uh, the hurricane, was it Hurricane Maria, right, in Puerto Rico, and he was out throwing around, the, or maybe that was in Texas, and he's throwing around the um, the paper towels, and, and, and I'm supposed to be upset by that, that he was, like, <laughs> throwing the paper towel roll like it was a three-point shot. It, that did not bother me. I don't know why people got upset. I do know why people got upset, because orange man bad, right? So, People that like Trump broke their brain. And so anything he does, like, I can't believe he did this thing. It doesn't matter. He's yeah. They're throwing this stuff around. Like when you are working relief efforts like that, you're, you're surrounded by people that are trying to remain in good spirits to try to lift people's spirits and to try to be optimistic and to not dwell in the negative that's all around you. Cause it's very easy to do. So no, I didn't care that he was throwing the paper towel rolls around. In fact, actually, I think it was it's kind of funny. It was, a, it was a moment of levity, right? Here's this president, this guy that not exactly known for being a cut-up, right? And here he is throwing the paper towels like it's a three-point shot. It's just indicative. He has no empathy for anyone. No, I, whatever. But let's talk about rebuilding houses. Because Hurricane Matthew hit North Carolina in 2016. And there are people... It's been eight years, right? No. Yeah. Eight, 2016, four, six years. Sorry, six years. It's been because the, the other storm, Florence, hit in 2018. So it's been six years since Hurricane, Matthews, uh, Hurricane Matthew hit and people still do not have their homes replaced. So bad has been the response. So bad that there are people still living in hotels six years later in the affected areas. And Hurricane Florence in 2018. And don't tell me it's about the money. Oh, we don't have enough money. Mm-mm. Federal government, federal government has given like three quarters of a billion dollars to North Carolina for Matthew 
and Florence. And it's got to be spent by 2025 for Matthew, Hurricane Matthew, 2026 for Florence. So there's a time, for, uh, there's a deadline approaching. 2025, all the money has to be spent. And if you don't spend it, you don't get it. And we are on pace not to spend it. This is Governor Cooper's mess. This was not McCrory. McCrory initially, he was running for re-election. Hurricane Matthew hit. He lost, which was astounding because, like, he did a good job in the hurricane response. And then he loses. Cooper takes over. And despite the years that have gone by, the North Carolina Office of Recovery and Relief, I think is what it's called, the NCORR, they have completed about 25% of the homes. Six years, and they've only completed 25% of the homes, either by rehab or new construction. They currently construct five or six houses a month. That's, what, that's their pace, five or six a month. South Carolina, they were cranking out like over 100 a month. This is on Cooper. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Exactly, Monica. Got Trump throwing around the paper towels in the relief effort after the hurricane. All right, he cheered them up for just a little bit. They were all having a good time. How dare he? (laughs) How dare you throw around paper towels? Make us have a good time. All right, so uh, this is a story from... Teresa Opica from CarolinaJournal.com. William and Geraldine Williams of Greene County. They've been living in a hotel for more than two years. Mr. Williams is a retired veteran. His wife is on dialysis for 10 hours a day. They lost their home in Hurricane Florence four years ago. They've been waiting for the state's Office of Recovery and Resiliency to finally get a roof over their heads. They applied for the Rebuild NC program in 2019 and say that the government has pushed the completion date of their home back many, many, many times. The NCORR office has gotten $778 million in federal funding to help people hurt by hurricanes Matthew and Florence, yet some remain homeless. Stories like the Williams got attention from state lawmakers the other day. They held a hearing to get some answers from leaders of the program. This was the program Governor Roy Cooper set up in the wake of Hurricane Matthew after he won election in 2016. Hurricane Matthew devastated parts of eastern North Carolina. Florence came around uh, two years later. So the federal government is requiring that the state spend the $778 million by 2025 for Hurricane Matthew relief and 2026 for Florence. Despite the years that have gone by, it might not happen. NCORR has completed 789 projects out of more than 4,000. So less than 1,000 out of 4,000. About 25% of homes, either by rehab or new construction. They currently construct five to six houses a month compared to 28 a month that they were doing in 2020. In 2021, it went from 28 a month down to 14 a month. And now they're down at five. Laura Hogshead, the director of the NCORR, 
was called before state lawmakers to explain what the problem is. She said several factors are holding things up, including the COVID-19 pandemic, supply chain issues, contractor and labor shortages. But they're working on ways to streamline the process, including reducing the number of documentation requirements for eligibility. You know, to go from like 12 to 14 uh, uh, requirements, take it from 12 or 14 down to three to four. They also want to bring case management in-house and they want to work on ways to pay contractors faster. Hogshead added that the General Assembly could also help by raising the assignment threshold so they can assign work to a general contractor if the work is under $30,000. State Senator Danny Britt, during this hearing, he said, quote, I probably have more people that were displaced than any other county in the state after Hurricane Matthew and Hurricane Florence. The excuse that the pandemic has caused the backlog is quite ridiculous to me because these folks have been dealing with this for quite a long time. Representative Brendan Jones Republican from Robeson County. He says, I have folks living in hotels since 2016. They also brought in a fellow by the name of Colonel J.R. Sanderson with the St. Bernard Project. That is a nationwide disaster recovery organization. This group, St. Bernard, ran the South Carolina Disaster Recovery Program for four years from 2015 to 2019. Now a senior government advisor, uh, Sanderson testified that the South Carolina Disaster Recovery Program used a streamlined system that hired one vendor to assign contractors to housing projects. As a result, the average turnaround time was 37 days for a mobile home, 56 days for a stick-built home, and 88 days for complete reconstruction. He said they would fine contractors $100 a day if they didn't complete the work in time. He also said they were turning over... 110 homes a month. That's three to five a week. We can't do five a month. Like we're struggling to turn five a month six years later. And South Carolina's program was doing three to five every week. When asked to evaluate their progress in North Carolina, Sanderson said he does not believe that they're going to meet the federal deadlines. And the NCOR needs to take steps to contract out their management system. You guys need somebody else in charge. That's what he's saying. You guys have failed. You need somebody else to do this because you're not going to be able to finish it. Over at North State Journal, AP Dillon, she reports the 15-member Hurricane Recovery Panel, it's a subcommittee of the Joint Legislative Commission on Government Operations. The formation of the subcommittee and its members were announced back in July. And uh, she talks about in her piece here, she highlights William Williams, at Willie Williams and his wife Geraldine, both disabled veterans with medical issues, they told lawmakers that they first applied to the Rebuild NC program because they needed help repairing their home in 2019. They still live in that hotel room. They also had a woman named Lavone Merritt. She said she and her father applied for relief in 2019. She said Rebuild NC keeps, quote, passing the buck. Meanwhile, she's still waiting. Her father has since died. Public comments submitted to the subcommittee mirrored testimony, such as the recovery program having a lengthy and complicated application process, lack of clear communication, and being passed from one person to another with no usable information offered. The North Carolina Office of Recovery and Resiliency, or NCORR, or as I like to call it, the NCOR, 
Uh, it was established by Governor Roy Cooper in 2018 to oversee and manage all the federal money that was coming in, $778 million. This is all on Cooper. Under his control, around 60% of the funds have been what they call encumbered, right? With just $231 million actually spent. So only like a third of the money has actually been spent. The funds have to be spent by 2025, as I mentioned. Laura Hogshead, the NACOR director, admitted that the effort was off course and she took responsibility during her opening remarks. She said, quote, this recovery is not going as you wanted to go. It's not going how I wanted to go. And it's certainly not going how the family sitting behind me and out in eastern North Carolina wanted to go. And that is on me. She was named director of the program on January 1st, 2019. Previously, she was the uh, chief operating officer and deputy chief of staff for budget and policy at the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Her past role at HUD was raised several times during the hearing the other day by lawmakers in relation to why she only began to make changes to policies regarding contractors and applications in the last six months. She said the pandemic was partly to blame. Lawmakers are not buying that. Her presentation showed 4,100 applications that have been taken since federal funds were received, only 789 projects completed. She said the current rate of construction, five to six houses a month. She indicated that the rate in 2020 of about seven per week, but that got cut to half that. And she added that uh, it's lower now. And she added that around 1,100 applicants are currently either waiting to find a contractor willing to do the work or for the work to begin. There are like almost 300 people still living in temporary housing situations like hotels and rental properties. Uh, Hogshead said we're in a hole so deep, or sorry, this is State Senator Brent Jackson. We're in a hole so deep that, quite frankly, I don't think you or your staff can dig out of it. You would need a 600% increase in output to meet the deadline for Hurricane Florence. And that's the later of the two deadlines. What a colossal failure.